We're concluding a four-part series. Um, actually, every year at this time, we do what we call Back to Basics, and we take the wonderful Science of Mind textbook uh, written by the founder of Religious Science, um, Reverend Dr. Ernest Holmes, and we cover the first four chapters, at least with the intent of covering all the major beliefs <laughs> within the Science of Mind. Now, I don't know, maybe after today you'll let me know whether you think we covered them all or not, but we're doing a pretty good job. We started off the first week by talking about God, how God is all-wise, uh, present everywhere, all-powerful, Week two, we personalized it. We said, well, if God is everywhere present, if God truly is everything, then of course that must mean us as well. There is that spark of the divine within each one of us, and therefore the power that is God, the love that is God, the joy that is God, the, the peace and so on that is God is also present here for each one of us. It's really how it works. It's how we're created. Then we covered last week a fundamental law, if you will, and, and in fact, uh, Ernest Holmes introduced the idea of it being called a law, the law simply being that God responds to our thoughts, that our thoughts are creative. And you might think of ourselves and God in this big co-creative process where the thoughts that we basically have about ourselves and our lives and the truth of the world literally out pictures in the world so that as we believe it so it so it is <laughs> so we see it and in fact that's the basis for us ending our prayers by saying and so it is because as as we declare the truth for us that's what's going to happen out in the world all right now this leaves us uh, in a little bit of a sticky wicket i think today can you say that do people even know what that means anyway <laughs> Because if indeed our thoughts are creative and the full power of God is behind our thoughts, well, if you're anything like me, there are certain times now and then when I look at what's outside of me and I go, oh my God, then what must I be thinking to have created this, right? So we're in that place, a little bit of stickiness, because if we're going to take ownership for what's going on around us, knowing that that's a reflection of our thoughts, sometimes that ownership can be painful. And today is about then, how can we change that? Literally, how can we change our thoughts? Okay, well I did, some, uh, I did some canoodling on this, and I came with sort of two basic ways that we can change our thoughts, and, and I want to cover them, and, and I'd like to typify them. One is a revolution, and the other is an evolution. So let's cover the revolution first. Is everyone here familiar with the idea of the dark night of the soul? Or, or for those of you maybe who, who know people in, in addiction programs, the idea of sort of hitting bottom. Well, I think of these things as being somewhat similar because what it is, the evidence of the world shows you in a very profound, unmistakable and dramatic way that changes have to be made, right? That's the dark night of the soul. When you actually look within, that's what hitting bottom is. It's seeing yourself and knowing that things cannot continue in the way they are. Literally, it might mean the end of you. Certainly something very clearly a part of us at that point needs to die. And it is that unwillingness, if you will, uh, to give up whatever that you know current way of being is in the world that causes that dark night of the soul to literally feel like we're about ready to die. Now, are we ready to die? Well, hopefully not, hopefully not. And yet the feelings of that intense, knowing that everything you believe in needs to change, 
that something very fundamental to you is not working for you anymore and has to change will literally feel like perhaps impending death itself. Now, you might be saying, well, gee, Larry, I'm not sure if this is the way I want to go about changing my life then. But I will tell you, when you're at the dark night of the soul, this is a supreme, poised moment of potential change. Because you have everything that you need to know about yourself and the gravity of what's going on to propel you into that change. And so, in many ways, it's almost like you have no choice but to change. And your thoughts literally overnight can flip themselves around into thinking something majorly different is true, and your life can almost change on a dime. And, and if, if you have friends, if you yourself have gone through the dark night of the soul and out the other side of it, you know what a transformative aspect of life this can be. Not something perhaps that's pleasant when you're going through it, but absolutely transformational. In my own life, I know, um, you know, I was an alcoholic for many years now, a recovering one, and that moment of change for me, that moment when I said, you know, I'm going to kill myself. I am literally going to kill myself if I continue on this path. If not literal death, the death of everything that I know and love in terms of family and position and career. And in almost an instant, I was able to recognize I just need to give this over to something bigger than me. That my own crazy thinking has got me here and I need to give that over to a power greater than me. And, and it happened just like that. All of a sudden, my unwillingness to go into recovery and seek help, a lot of my unwillingness simply evaporated. I know similarly, um, when my mom first became ill, and as an only child, there was a moment of feeling, well, more than a moment of feeling, that I am absolutely responsible for her caretaking, and she was in another city than me. And for, for at least 24 hours, that almost felt a part of me was going to have to die in order to raise myself to the occasion of being able to take care of my mom. Again, similar kinds of things. I did not think I was capable of that. I did not think I would be able to make good decisions to arrange for her to you know, get packed up and move closer. Very similar kind of thing where something that I just absolutely know to be true that I had to take care of my mom, and yet I did not literally have the fortitude, the money, the time, and things to do that. I simply, in my mind, made a complete about turn because of the gravity of the matter and was able to rise to it. Okay, so these are the ideas of the revolution of thought. Now, you don't have to set these up. <laughs> They're going to find you, right? If there are things serious enough going on in your lives that this level of, of attention needs to happen, they're going to seek you out. And the only reason that I think this is an important part of today's talk is see them as that grand opportunity. It may feel for a little while like there is something re ready to die. You may feel literally feelings of, oh my God, to change that much, a part of me is going to die. I just want to reassure you, maybe a little part of you will, but you will come out the other side more capable, more lovable, more self-assured. Even in that moment, perhaps of terror, of whatever needs to be done, 
you are going to come out the other side stronger, more powerful, more, um, more in keeping with your divine nature, whether it be a greater revelation of love, a greater revelation of self, um, uh, you know, the, the ability to take care of yourself, whatever it might be, you're going to come out the other side swimmingly well. Stay with it. Stay with it. Do not give up. Okay, now the other way that we change our thoughts, I'm going to need a little help because I want to illustrate something first. Is there a couple people in the audience, someone that might represent um, kind of a devilish way of thinking and someone that might represent kind of a more angelic way of thinking? So would a, a couple people come forward? I have a little, little role. Oh, come on. It never hurts. Does it? Come on, come, come on up. It would be my great honor. Pat, would you join me? That would be wonderful. Karen, thank you very much. Now, I, you know, I'm not going to presume which one of you I'll, would... I'll be the little devil. Oh, all right, all right. That was very easy. Thank you, Karen. I guess that leaves Pat, you get to be the angel. Okay, and I'm going to get you um, a microphone here, too, because I think it'll work a little better. So here's one for you, Pat. Just kind of hold it next to your chin, and here's one for you, Karen. And what I want to do is I'm going to represent this process that we call the law. And so I'm going to stand here, and you might think of me then acting as God's agent to actually tip the scales. Now, I'm presenting a problem here, the problem of perhaps perceived lack, perhaps the idea that there's not enough to go around. And um, these two folks here representing perhaps a negative thinking and positive thinking are going to have their action work on me. And now, maybe about 10 years ago, there was this commercial, do you remember it? It was a guy that had a little devil that sat on one shoulder and a little angel that sat and were whispering into his ear. So that's kind of the effect that we're going to do here. Feel free to ad lib too, because I'm sure you can come up with, <laughs> with thoughts of your own. And, and what I'm going to do, because what we recognize is the general temper, right? The overwhelming condition of my thoughts are going to sway me, right? Either into a devilish frame of mind, meaning that maybe my life will be filled with lack or limitation, or a more angelic frame of mind, you know, more positive thoughts about abundance that will, that will bring me more in line with that. So for now, I'm just going to be in that neutral position, and we'll allow the voices to occur. So why don't you two take turns? Hey, Larry. You know what? There's never enough to make ends meet. You know, if I get enough, or if you get enough, someone else will have to go without. Uh. And you know what? You never can get anything right. You always mess up, so why even try? <laughs> can, we, can we hear from the other side, please? <laughs> Larry, there's always enough for everyone. I always have enough money to pay all my bills with plenty of leftover. Infinite God is the source of everything. My good fortune is guaranteed. I am heir to the good of the universe. My good is unlimited. Okay, let's stop for just a minute, though, because you know what? I don't think this is very realistic. I'm going to pause this. Well, <laughs> other than the fact that there isn't an angel and a devil on my shoulders, because what I know... <laughs> And, and what science has shown is that biochemically, memories and thoughts are stored in, my, in our minds with 
an emotional charge to them. So the things that are stored with an emotional charge in our mind have much more weight and are much more apt to reoccur in my mind. And I got to tell you, some of my early thoughts around money and abundance were my parents fighting and us getting like pink notices in the mail. And I mean, years later, I found out what those pink notices were. But the emotional charge to a lot of my early memories uh, the emotional charge was negative and what science has shown is that those kind of memories are heard twice as often in our heads those kind of thoughts well up in our own minds to be repeated and replayed twice as often as the ones more of abundance and life and affirmation so I gotta tell you I'm not liking this but Karen you get to talk twice as loud and twice as much as Pat does so let's let's be more realistic this time. Be more realistic. Get a life. Come on, Larry. <laughs> there are only so many resources, and everybody knows that. I mean, you know, life's tough. Then you die, and you know what? All those bills are adding up, and you know, you'll never get out of debt because you know your bills always are exceeding your paycheck. You know, it's just never going to happen. You're oh, always going to be bad. Help me, bad. I'm always supplied with everything I need and want. Life is easy oh. and comfortable. Oh. My life brings great riches to have and to share. I have my heart's desire right now. Okay, there. okay. I think we're good. I think we're good. But, you, but do you see the position that we're stuck in here? Thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate your help. But thank you, yes. Thanks, Linda. Thanks. Yeah, the... the the that's fine, you can keep it. The, tr the trouble with this whole thing is, if we don't do anything actively, right? If we don't change, in general, the way our brain actually is designed to work, we're going to tend to hear twice as much from the little devil, the little devil, as we are going to be from the angel. It's simply the way, biochemically, the memories and thoughts that we have are stored in our brain. Because most of us, the stronger emotions when we were a child, most of us, not always, because certainly love is a strong emotion, certainly joy is a strong emotion, and memories that were stored with those thoughts likely are more apt to frequently occur. And that's why so often, often thoughts of family and warmth come up. It's because some of those holidays that we experienced were so full of love. Those also easily come up. But in many of the areas in our personal lives where we're having trouble, I would bet you some of our earliest memories were negative and they were powerful. And we're hearing them repeated in our little mind twice as often as the ones that are more positive and more life-affirming. Okay, so there's, there's our trouble. There's, there's what we have to overcome. How do we go about this? I want to read um, from this chapter from Ernest Holmes. All right. He says, let us analyze this. One finds oneself impoverished. You wish to change this condition, and you know it is not in accord with ultimate reality, that spirit opposes, imposes no limitations. Therefore, you know that your apparent limited condition have no real law to support it. It is simply an experience of consciousness. You wish a definite result, 
in the opposite direction. Okay, so that's, that's the setup, right? We know because we're good folks in here that God wants the best for us right from the get-go. So anything less than the best we know from the get-go is just faulty thinking on our part. Nonetheless, the image of this limitation persists. Here is a definite contradiction of the statement of freedom itself. Right here, we must stop and declare that these images of limitation are neither person, place, or thing, and that they have no power, no real law to support them. We do not believe in them, and they cannot operate through us. We are free from their influence forever. Then we begin to fill our thoughts with ideas of faith, the expectancy of good, and the realization of plenty. So here, right from Ernest Holmes, are the gems of the solution to this problem. The first thing that we all owe to one another, to ourselves, is to simply say no when the thoughts come to us that are not the thoughts that are the truth of us. So if we know that there is no lack or limitation in the universe because God has abundance, then that's true as, that is true for us as well. And we're, and we're having thoughts of, of not enough, when we're having thoughts of poverty, when we're having thoughts of, of undeservedness or unlovedness, we can look the devil right on our shoulder, right in the eye, and say, this is simply not true. It may have been my experience in the past, but it does not define me. And moving forward, I'm going to choose something to believe differently. I'm going to choose something that is more life-affirming, something that is more headed in the direction that I want. I know that my thoughts outpicture in the world, and so I am going to choose to have thoughts of richness. I'm going to have thoughts of prosperity. I'm going to have thoughts of love. I'm going to have thoughts of peace. If there are circumstances in my life that are not to my liking, I'm going to start having thoughts in my life that will bring about the circumstances that I do want to participate in. All right. Now this one, my, a good example from my own life, something that was very much an evolution rather than a revolution happened about halfway through ministerial school. Halfway through, I mean, and maybe I'm a slow learner, but halfway through ministerial school, I realized that I was going to get up and talk in front of people like at least once a week for the rest of my career. And I got to tell you, the National Psychiatric Institute is absolutely right when they say that for some people, the fear of public speaking is right up there with death and losing a loved one. <laughs> Honestly, for many, many people in the United States right now, the fear of public of speaking is like number two. Fear of death or the fear of losing a loved one, a spouse or a, or a life partner, is number one. And fear of public speaking for most Americans is number two. And unfortunately, for me, it may have been number one. And so here I am, halfway through ministerial school, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I have all these thoughts of inadequacy, of fear, that people will judge me, that I'll judge myself, that I'm not going to be good enough. And I thought, oh my God, physician, heal thyself. Right? 
It's like, how dare I be in ministerial school and falling victim to the same kind of fear that hopefully I'm going to be ministering to. So I got to tell you, in a very proactive way, in a very step-by-step way, I started following all the spiritual practices and all the techniques that we teach through the science of mind myself. I went into meditation to really figure out what my fears legitimately are, right? Have we ever really thought about what our own beliefs are? So many of us, the answer is no. I really sat down and made an exhaustive list of why I was afraid to talk in front of the public. And then one by one, I went through them. You know, is there any basis for reality in this? Right? Do I literally have experience that, you know, something bad's going to happen? That you get my drift? I went through them one by one. The ones that had no merit whatsoever, just recognizing that was a huge weight off my, back, off my back. It was though a lot of the fear vanished just because I looked it in the face and said, well, this can't possibly be true. You know, this is something left over from some other time in history that just isn't me. The other thing I did was I immediately went into in the foundations class and a couple other classes, we use what's called a fear to faith worksheet. And literally you walk through something that you're afraid will happen or might happen, something that is discouraging in your life, and you manage to transform it into something quite the opposite. And you end up with an affirmation and a prayer when you're done. And I started using that on a daily basis. I literally started choosing those more angelic thoughts over the negative ones so not only when the negative ones would I come up when they would come to me I would say well okay Larry we've already been through this you're not going to die if you get up and talk in front of people no matter how it might feel it's just a feeling and feelings pass so that was the denial part of it just absolutely denied the truth of these old ideas that were keeping me blocked then I would replace it with affirmations and prayer around what I wanted to feel. You know, I'm at ease in front of people. I love speaking in front of people. I know that my mission as a minister is absolutely emboldened and enlivened by my use of language in front of others. So that over time, over a period of time, little by little, this is the incremental change, this is the evolution instead of the revolution, I simply started tipping myself to the side of knowing that I'm a great public speaker. Now on day one, could I have said I'm a great public speaker and actually own that? Mm -mm. On day one, that little devil on my shoulder would have said, in a pig's eye. (laughs) And you're probably going to die when you get up there anyway. (laughs) But what I know is, through the process of evolution through the process of doing daily affirmations, through the process of spiritual practice, through the practice of public speaking too. Because even though as I was changing my mind, I was signing up to be a guest speaker different places. Even though, you know, that fear was still there, you know, I was having to do my work around that. But I was also literally moving my feet in the direction of signing up for opportunities to speak. This is how you can make evolutionary changes in your own life. It's one step at a time. It's denying the, the false beliefs that are floating through your head, that are causing you trouble, that are limiting your ability to do what you want to do, that are limiting your own ability to feel what you want to feel. It's denying those. There's no truth in it. 
God is not about suffering. God is not about poverty. God is not about a disharmony or discord. God is not about fighting or war. These are absolutely made up only in the mind of people. God is about love. God is about peace. God is about joy. God is about compassion. God is about harmony. These are the fundamental truths in our life, and when we affirm them, the old, the negative, naturally falls away. The truth always wins out. Okay, so what happens when it doesn't work? This was a great speech, wasn't it? If I had any sense at all, I would just end it there. (laughs) What happens when it doesn't work? It leads me to today's joke. All right. So there's an old sea story in the Navy about a ship's captain who inspected his sailors and afterwards told the chief bosun's mate that his men smelled bad. The captain suggested that perhaps it would help if the sailors would change their clothes more often. The chief responded, aye, aye, sir, I'll see to it immediately. The chief went straight to the sailor's berth deck and announced, the captain thinks you all stink and wants you to change your clothes more often. Now get to it. Pittman, you change with Jones. McCarthy, you change with Hausman. Brown, you change with Schultz. Now, now you see the problem with this is, and, what I, and the reason I think that sometimes it isn't so easy to change our minds is our thought patterns have a kind of inertia to them. A kind, well, a kind of a smell to them, to get back to the joke. But a kind of inertia to them. If any of you have been to, um, haven't been to OMSI in a while, they have this wonderful exhibit that shows how inertia works. And it's this relatively large block of iron. It's really heavy. And, and, and to get it moving, it usually takes uh, you know four or five small children, or like me and two small children anyway, to, to get it moving. And it, and it just, and it's really interesting because you can barely move it and then it picks up speed a little if, if all of you keep pressing and pressing and it kind of rolls al- along a track a little bit. And then, then the fun part is you run around to the other side and try to stop it. And you can't. You can't literally that with the same force that you put into it Really? Because it, it was the force of a bunch of people pressing for quite a while. It's going to take that same level of force to stop it at the other end. I think our brains have inertia too. We have been thinking our same thoughts, our same trend of thoughts for 20, 30, 40, 50 years or more. The thought that we can just reverse them overnight is a little like the sea captain thinking that people are going to get right on this idea of what it means to change your clothes, right? It's like the inertia is apt to just keep propelling us forward into our stinky thinking. (laughs) So do not underestimate the power of change. It may just take a little while longer than what we think. So if it's not working for you, it could be this momentum, this inertia effect. All you need to do is persist. There is a power greater in the universe, a power for good. It is here for you if you use it. It may take a little stubbornness on your part to reverse years of thinking one way into thinking a different way. Persist.
And whether it is by this evolutionary process or the more revolutionary dark night of the soul, what I know is that all of us can change our conditions. There is nothing going on in any life in this room that cannot be remade, enhanced, made over, or changed for the better. There is nothing, nothing on this planet that cannot be undone, redone, enhanced, or made better. And it is solely through the power of our mind and the co-created power of God itself that these changes can be here in our lives. Okay, so I'm going to now attempt in like a minute and a half to recap or summarize what we've learned over the last four weeks. Now, I could talk really, really, really fast, or I could try just to pick out the key thoughts, which is what I'm going to do. So first of all, God is all that there is. It's all-powerful. It's all-seeing. It's everywhere present. That means you. It means every person in this room is part of God, heir to that kingdom of love, of peace, of joy. It is here for each of us to accept that full power of God. There is a creative law of the universe which says that what you are thinking will outpicture, will turn real in a sense in the world. So if we're thinking of lack and limitation, we're going to see a lot of lack and limitation in our lives. If we're thinking about love and inclusive, inclusivity, what we're going to see in our lives is a lot of love and, and, inclusivity, and inclusivity. That is simply the law, and it works equally well for everyone. That's the impersonal nature of God. The personal nature of God is that which we hold the closest to us. Those thoughts that we hold dear to us with love and joy and peace are activated with such ferocity. They're activated with such fervor that it will amaze you. So when you can change your thoughts and have that complete feeling of trust, that complete feeling of love, even as you're, you're thinking these new thoughts, those are the thoughts that act like catalysts to absolutely change your lives. Finally, today we covered the idea of at least a couple different ways of changing our thoughts. One through that revolutionary dark night of the soul, and the other through the evolutionary process of changing thoughts literally one at a time. As they come up, we evaluate them. If they're inappropriate, if they're not what we want to experience, we deny them, and we replace them with something more positive. This is the plan. And what I know is that there is a spiritual practice that is right for everyone in this room. For some people it may be prayer, for some people it might be affirmations, for some people it might be meeting with a practitioner and really working honestly through your stuff. For some people in here it may come to the dark night of the soul. I hope not, because that's a painful way to learn some of these truths. But it too will have a positive outcome. Whatever is right for each person in this room, I know it is for them to discover. And this is the community. This is the loving community that I invite you all to become more active in, to be supported by, even as you support the transformations going on by the other people in this room. So I'd like to close today with a group spiritual practice. It's been a while since we've done affirmations with each other. So if you're willing, I would like you just to repeat after me. And this is also out of the Science of Mind textbook. So just repeat after me. Good and more good is mine. 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 Good and more good is m
and ever increasing good is mine. There is no limit to the good which is mine. Everywhere I go, I see this good. I feel it. I experience it. It crowds itself around me. It flows through me. And it expresses itself in me. It multiplies itself around me. And good and more good is mine now. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence in this universe, and I do indeed know that it is all-wise, all-encompassing, everywhere present. This, this is God. And as God is everywhere present, I know that it means me. I know that my own life, my own thoughts, my own being is an heir to this kingdom of love, of peace, of joy, of happiness, of wisdom, of abundance. All of God's gifts are here for me to experience And I know that this law works impartially. And so it is also here for the experience of every person in this room. Every person here is God in form. Not all of God, but an important, centered part of the God principle itself. And because of that, each person here has that ability to consciously choose the thoughts that will co-create for them a life worth living, a life of their own design. Each person here has that ability, and with each passing day, that ability becomes easier and easier to selectively choose the thoughts that we're having, to begin choosing thoughts and to have actions based on what we want to see in our lives rather than what we're afraid of. This is the legacy of the science of mind. This is the legacy of Ernest Holmes himself. And for each person here, I know it simply becomes easier and easier to become in more conscious control of the thoughts we're having. And I'm just grateful for this. I'm grateful for the peace and the love that results from it. Grateful in advance for each person's greater awareness of their own thoughts and their own ability to change their lives. And so in gratitude, I just let it be. I release this prayer, and together we say, and so it is. So thank you very much.